Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Two. One. Talk shoes. Recorded live. Hey everybody, thank you for coming this week to the group call for Tactical Sovereignty, the Matrixic Discussion Group. Um, I have a great guest this evening, Sarah Marcus is with us this evening, and she's going to be discussing uh, another side of the whole situation that a lot of us are looking into, because a lot of people are saying, okay, if I go and do this, this, and this, ABC, whatever, well, what's going to happen to me? You know, I... Um, Am I going to be left high and dry? You know, and what, one of the biggest things that I try to explain to everybody is that the biggest problem right now on this land is that men have become way too complacent. I hate to say it, but way too lazy. And we've sat back and we've given the control over to another entity who has absolutely no business in our lives. But, though, you know, as long as we, people have the six-pack in the fridge and the football game on, they're very happy to let some other entity take care of things until when it comes time to administrate the estate. And it means that maybe they're going to get hit with some hefty fines, get kicked out of their house, or maybe even get a little vacation in the gray buyer hotel. You know, um, and like I've said on these calls, we do not offer legal advice. If you think that's what you need, uh, good luck going and finding an attorney that's competent on these matters because what we're, we're discussing isn't legal. Legal is a fiction, and what we discuss here is the facts. What has happened, where we're at, and what we're going to be doing about it. Which goes right back to one of the main things that I've always tried to get through. Everybody said that people, most people don't even realize is that they don't know where they're from, they don't know where they're at, and they don't know who they really are. They've been operating under a persona that was handed to them from birth. You know, people are born onto this land and they're said, okay, here's the religion you're going to follow. Here's the name you're going to follow. Uh, this is your race, you know, and then they have to spend the rest of their lives protecting this stuff that they don't even really comprehend what those things are to start with. And so what Sarah's going to be discussing this evening is she's going to be discussing the part of what do you do once you really do know who you are? Once you really have, you know, put on the big boy pants and decide you're going to start taking care of things yourself. You're going to start administrating your estate and you're going to start moving forward and get off the couch and turn off the TV. You know, these are the important things. These are many of the things that have been forgotten over the last hundred years. It's the way that people used to live and people don't live anymore because it's so much easier just to worry about our immediate needs as long as they can be taken care of when the next, within the next hour. That's the only thing people really care about anymore. But what we've got to do is get back to thinking about not just tomorrow or next week, but next month and next year. And until we can have things put in place, whether it's for your status to be straightened out or whether it's to make sure that you've got food in the cupboards, being able to plan and have things 
solidified for the next year ahead, that's what's important. And that, that's what makes people more happy. And that's really what relaxes people because that's the only time that you really feel comfortable in yourself and in your skin and in the surroundings that you found yourself in. So with that being said, um, I'd like to bring on Sarah Marcus. Uh, Sarah is somebody that I met several years ago. Uh, we were having an interesting conversation one evening, and she said, I, I can't remember the exact topic we were on, but she mentioned a phrase, and I stopped her. I said, wait a minute, where did you hear that from? And she said, my dad. I said, your dad? And I said, your dad's not Joe Wallach, is it? And she goes, yeah. And I'm thinking, oh, my Lord. It was, that was one of the very first people that I was really introduced to when it came to what's really going on um, with our bodies, with what we're putting in our bodies, and whether or not our bodies are able, even able to do anything with the substances that we're consuming. And if anybody uh, can go out, the first thing that I got was a tape called Dead Doctors Don't Lie, and it's great information. And so Sarah's following in her father's footsteps as well, and only she's putting a little bit of a twist to it, and she's kicking it up a notch. And that's what she's going to be explaining tonight. So without further ado, Sarah, how are you doing this evening? Thank you. Thank you very well. So I just wanted to, you know, overview this. This is about building community. This is definitely taking it up a notch. Instead of individual responsibility, this is moving up a notch into the holistic, sovereign communities. <clears throat> and I've been working on this project for about eight years. And what basically, I would say that my background with my father, you know, working to the world, uh, we lived in South Africa for almost two years. My younger sister was born her <laughs> out there. So, you know, we we grew up um, concerned about conserving the environment, concerned about uh, conserving our natural resources, not just the animals, but the environments they need to survive in. And so, you know, we were introduced to all kinds of uh, world-class groups that were involved in these projects for the animals, for the zoos. And so my background growing up with zoo animals and being around uh, nature, it was just obvious that I was going to follow in my father's footsteps on what creates healthy bodies, what creates healthy environments. And we keep educating people about this, like in regards to Standing Rock. I mean, for us, it's a no-brainer. Don't poison the water for millions of people and millions of acres of land. Now, what, what I did was about 10 years ago, I was invited to be moderator at Project Avalon amongst a few other people moderating so as moderator, we had access to all kinds of activists, all kinds of 
environmental experts, all kinds of natural health experts, and <clears throat> there was growing groups that were interested in intentional, uh, sustainable farm communities. So that really kicked off uh, deep research for me into intentional farming communities because that would solve a lot of society's problems with joblessness, uh, returning veterans, even if they were disabled, they could still participate in a farm community. And it's very healing to be in farming or gardening. So, you know, as things progressed, I delved further into pursuing propagations of plants and trees and these kind of things. So I became master gardener and then pursued uh, becoming herbalist. And now I'm finishing up my Ayurvedic practitioner. Uh, I hope to do an internship in this next year that it's six months in a hospital that only uses herbals to treat trauma and childbirth and these kind of things. So that is my personal background in this. And over the last four years, almost five years, I've been in close contact with uh, architects that are from the Army Corps of Engineers that have expertise in earthbag building because as moderator there were groups of people that were bringing up these beautiful projects on earthbag building so once you own the land it's very cheap to in truckloads of dirt and clay and fill up these polyurethane bags and put it in a configuration to start building walls and rooms and whatever. So I started pursuing this, especially with the Army Corps of Engineer uh, architects, because they definitely have the expertise and the credentials. And the people that are involved, they've even been called upon to do all kinds of emergency relief building, like in Nepal and Africa and Asia and because cost is a big problem uh, oh you still there sir yep I'm still here oh okay you dropped for a minute <laughs> so I'm not sure where I dropped from uh, this is like 10 seconds ago. Okay. So in regard to the Army Corps of Engineers, they were called in on many projects for emergency rebuilding, uh, earthquake recovery, uh, tsunami recovery, drought recovery, et cetera. So they have a lot of expertise in in different structures, building with the earth bag. So I did put links um, on the Facebook discussion page. So if people want to go back and look at the earth bag building, etc., there's lots of YouTube clips on exactly the tools and procedures, how to do it. 
they suggest for beginners to do like a root cellar or something first so that they get the hang of how to, to tramp the earth bags so they become bricks. And the process is once you build up these walls of bags, then you let it dry. You have certain ways to reinforce it with rebar and put in your windows and doors and fireplace, whatever you want. But in any case, once that's done, you can stucco the outside. So they finish up looking like stucco houses. They're, the walls are about 12 inch deep and the known uh, aging for a structure like this is at least 500 years. And it's all above code. So with that, I've worked with engineers that have expertise working with the Army Corps of Engineer Architects. And I have two different uh, signed off engineer specs. One is for a four bedroom, three bathroom, 3,500 square foot house. And the other spec engineer signed off is for a dorm and classroom complex that we're going to build at least four of these pods and it's classroom in the center and bunk bedrooms on either end and so it's like a live-in school environment now what this leads up to if you go on my facebook webpage there's an oversight you know of what the the idea is for a 300 acre farm now of course it's rectangle because we don't have a property picked out but we are planning on crowdsourcing we have been crowdsourcing and we intend to buy anywhere from 200 to 300 acre in you know payment so that it's no mortgage no debt involved and once that's done, the call will be put out to a lot of architect and engineer students that need work hour in order to get a job. They have to do something like 100 or 200 hours of intern work, free work, uh, building projects before they can start working. So... We're going to put the word out for them as well as for the general community that whoever wishes to learn how to do this earth bag building and work with us to build this up. So it's still in very beginning stages, but, you know, we all know crowdsourcing that you can raise millions of dollars within a week or it can take years so it really depends on how viral it goes how quickly it happens now some of the guidelines for this kind of community would be based on universal law and of course the declaration of independence because if we read it it says all men are created equal it, it does not specify a specific land mass. It, it was a founding document for America, but it's not uh, just for America. So this is 
something that once we get the first one going, I'm pretty sure that many other countries and many other counties and provinces throughout the United States and throughout Europe and other countries will want to do this because uh, certain groups of people are self-responsible and self-reliant. So this will take it to a level that a lot of youth that have nowhere to go, they're still living with parents or families that are stuck in situations that it's not productive for them as a family once they they have come to to a certain point in their lives that they are willing to accept certain self-reliance and certain self-governance and certain self-responsibility, they would be great for these kind of communities. Now, my particular view for this first community is as an herbal school, which is why I did the dorm and classroom. We have millions of displaced persons throughout the world, and that includes our own veterans, young veterans, uh, our own general population that has nowhere to afford education, et cetera, that would give an opportunity for people to learn to be herbalists. And the projected idea would be to crowdsource when they graduate that they would be able to form their own herbal schools and herbal farms wherever they come from. So if they hail from America, if they hail from South America, Africa, Asia, wherever, they will get seed money to start an organic herbal farm community, at least for a farm. If not, depending on how much assistance they get, they might start a whole farm community like we would be doing. So what this does is it gives us a two-year opportunity to educate young folks in self-reliance, healing modalities, in holistic living, um, and to seed other communities with that knowledge and information. So that would be one of the first startups. We could always add in other kind of schoolings. You know, there's all kinds of woodwork, all kinds of uh, artwork, sculpting, etc. Now, if you look at the rest of the layout for the property, it would have fields and fields of places for herbs and underground gardening for winter because I intend this is going to be like Kentucky, Tennessee for the first one. Um, you know, it's Midwest. There's plenty of streams, springs, etc. So it wouldn't be lacking a lot of water like out west. But um, in any case, there's um, an article there about five popular uh, winter gardening projects that have been done that are successful. And my favorite is to dig the dig out, you know, that it's like eight foot deep, a huge uh, greenhouse into the ground and then cover it with 
like window pane so you could slide it open during the summer and still use it. But during the winter, the light gets in, but the cold stays out. And of course, there would be like storm door to, to go in. So these are labor intensive projects. So of course, you know, if we're talking about 500 households, at least a third has to be young adults that are going to be able to do the labor intense. The other third, I expect, would be the uh, elderly. They're not going to do the labor intensive, but many of them have great expertise, great knowledge. They've already devoted themselves to communities for over 20, 30 years. And I think that this would give them self-independence much longer than if they were by themselves. Um, the other third, of course, would be like young adults, anywhere from uh, 17 through, you know, 25 before they're starting families. So that might be more transient. It might not. But in any case, uh, that's kind of like how it would break down, at least in the beginning, until it got off the ground. Um, there is a big auditorium building that needs to be uh, engineer spec for building so that if there's large meetings, weddings, events, concerts, whatever, we could house it within the community, you know, industrial size kitchen, etc. Um, there would be also a farmer's market and cafe bistro. So it would be like a nice uh, upscale version of Starbucks. So it would have dinner, light lunches, et cetera, breakfast. So, but at the same time, it would be a great place for people to meet, whether for their own personal celebrations or whether for you know, business meetings from people outside, et cetera. Uh, farmer's market, of course, would have a lot of our herbs and uh, organic fruits, vegetables, et cetera, that we're growing so we can sell it to the outside outlaying community. Uh, such a, a thing would also be a great place to do field trips for the local schools, local churches, etc., so that people can interface and learn how to to be self-reliant, holistic life, uh, holistic health. A lot of different things come from living holistically and in tune with nature and the universe. Now, <clears throat> Of course, there would be online marketing as well, so we would not just rely on the locals. So it would also be a lot of drawing and preserving and that kind of thing so that it can be sold online so that people around the world could theoretically order it. So, of course, we'd have a group of people that would just be involved in online marketing, putting pictures up, putting information up, et cetera, packaging it, sending it. Uh, the other thing is my view is very similar to Ubuntu that this 500 household would only put in the equivalent 
of two hours a day work into this kind of community, unless it's needed more. But 500 households, it should be self-sufficient to be able to <clears throat> support the farm, the farm work, whatever weeding, harvesting, watering, feeding, whatever needs to be done for the, the group cause. And the rest of your time would be free to do whatever your expertise is. So if someone is a writer, they'd have plenty of time to do writing. If they're an artist, they would have plenty of time to do an artwork. They would have plenty of time to do their own uh, you know, singing, whatever. I, I hope to add in a sound recording booth to the farm so that uh, you know we can possibly do things for like Gaim tele television, so people will learn more about us or documentaries or whatever. Um, you know, musicians can record, etc. So it, it would be a self-contained community to promote <clears throat> not only self-reliance, but all the arts, all, all the knowledges, all the expertise, woodworking, uh, crafting, all kinds of uh, sports, all kinds of things that, that within the community is helpful and useful, but also that outsiders will be drawn to because, oh, they have it going on over there. Let's go. So, you know, part of the bistro, I have special plans of special uh, shelving so that people can put information or items that will be for sale <clears throat> on consignment. So, you know, whether it's like 1% to 5%, the the bistro would take for promoting it, but the rest would go to the artist or whomever. Um, so a lot of support and promotion for the, the artists and experts that are living there. Uh, we hope to draw in all kinds of uh, sovereignty experts so that they have an oasis, meaning as a community, we, we would have a certain amount of clout that the outside community has to respect and, you know, be aware of, like the Amish and the Mennonite communities, they have recognition from the outside world that their community is different and they, they make uh, delegations to protect their right of life. So <clears throat> this is one of the biggest advantages of doing these kind of communities is that as a community, you have much more clout and, you know, if it's a successful marketing, the outside world is going to give it a lot more respect than they would just a few individuals, which is what we're, we've been facing as a sovereign community here in the States for over 20 years. And, you know, it's people like Judge Anna Von Reitz and uh, Bill Thornton and Winston Shroud that have been really pushing it through for the last 30 years for people 
and tremendous amount of sacrifice and, and giving to protect people. <clears throat> so, you know, we're going to have to think ahead for the next 50 years. How do we want to progress as a, a community? Because <clears throat> individually, it feels like we're being picked on. But again, as a large community, we would have a little bit more clout to to say, hey, this is our way. What can we do to, to rectify that you leave us alone and we, you know, provide all kinds of beautiful things to your community? <clears throat> and this is one of the, the scariest things, I guess, for me, is that within the sovereign community, this is the creme de la creme of the society here in America. These are giving, kind, beautiful, knowledgeable people that are being attacked and punished for being good. And this is just not right. <clears throat> so this is something that would be much easier to rectify. And if you look on the links that I put at the discussion page, there's uh, a huge city that was created in 1967. It's an international city in India. It's called Oroville. <clears throat> and the beauty of Oroville is that a huge movement within India and the Dalai Lama and several other notable spiritual people joined together to uh, endorse and support this group. And they raised the funds themselves. I don't know how many years it took, you know, whether it was two to five or 20, I don't know. But in any case, they bought the land and they worked with the international trustees that that whole city is not considered part of India. That is an international zone for people that are living a spiritual life. Now, if it's already been done, it can be done again. And so that's my intention that when the 300 acres is bought, that it would be turned into an international zone in order to protect the sovereign nationals that are living in there. And it would remove it completely from whatever uh, U.S. corporation would, you know, be at that time, whether it's two years from now or five years from now. <clears throat> now, if the republic comes online, it's not going to be a problem. But in any case, in the meantime, it, it will protect the jurisdictional uh coverage of that property to do that. So I posted that Oroville, and if you go on their website, they have all kinds of paperwork that you can read up. It's pages and pages of legal documentation within the, the country of India and, and with the international trustees at the Vatican and Crown Temple in order to create this special jurisdiction that it's recognized so that no matter what, you know, the, the local police or whatever don't just barge in and start 
bothering people for nothing. So these are things that I've done eight years of research and layout and, you know, just step-by-step step putting it out of a, mostly my own pocket. You know, I've spent close to... <clears throat> close to $6,000 times two for the engineer specs. And I figured the bigger buildings are going to be much higher. They're probably going to be close to 10000 to to do the engineer specs. And, um, you know, the, the huge um, building for events and things, it, it's, definitely going to be a special construction. It's going to need cranes because it's going to be at least a double ceiling, you know. So it, it's definitely uh, a lot involved. But when you compare it to botanical gardens or library buildings that have been built in the communities around the world, not just here, um, it, it's a worthwhile investment in time and energy. And Hello? Hello? T-shirts. Yep. Yeah, she's back. Okay. I'm not sure where I got. <clears throat> yeah, 20 seconds ago. Okay. Well, basically, <clears throat> you know, these different projects were building step by step. So I'm not sure if I if it got through that uh, each of these architect specs that I've done so far have been close to $6,000 a piece out of my pocket. And the next one, like for the auditorium building, is going to be probably in the 10,000 range, as well as the farmer's market and the um, cafe bistro. And the cafe bistro, I want it to be a little bit on the large size so that, you know, theoretically at least 300 people could sit there for dinner if, if needed. So that's quite a big structure, and I want it, like, split level, et cetera, so that people have privacy while they're eating different rooms if there's a special event or gathering or whatever. But all throughout, it will have lots of shelving for all the artwork and stuff. So whoever's there will see a lot of interesting, handmade, beautiful, one-of-a-kind things. Of all the artists and people living there. So this is an opportunity to think ahead <clears throat> and really start investing towards a community project like, you know, there's so many botanical gardens and libraries around the world that communities have invested in just to have. Whereas this would be kind of like a live-in library botanical garden that people are actually living and thriving within in, in a self-reliant uh, aspect. So, you know, again, this all started from back in 2010, 
2008-2010, the two-year range, that all kinds of people were bringing forward information on intentional communities. And the advantage over the years has been I've been able to hear what didn't work, what went wrong, what happened, et cetera. So I could incorporate those things within this plan so that it's not just a farm. By having it as a school, you're bringing in international people. We could bring in international guests, not just national guests, and have different events that will bring a lot of people to that place. So, you know, again, this is two to five years from now, but the quicker we get the funding, the quicker it will happen. And I've already put out to people that I think that we really need to do some kind of delegation to the the new Secretary of State and State Department for uh, the national status, the sovereign status, the private trust versus the public trust, and try to, you know, cut through a lot of the, the just ignorant issues because the more we're proactive about this, the less problems their agents will filter down to all of us. And so it behooves us to try to get that going, whether we have the the larger community or not, it will stand us in good stead in the future once the, this kind of project does get off the ground. Now, there's a lot of uh, Indian nations, they have reservation land that they already, you know, own. Uh, I've put out there that if there's anyone with Indian reservation land that wants use of the uh, specs that I have done, I have already gotten permission from the engineers and the architects to donate the engineer signed off specs. They would just have to work with the local engineer to finish off whatever they need for their local uh, you know, terrain and stuff but um, they're welcome to have it. I've already donated one of the specs because the second one wasn't done already, but I donated those specs to Nepal during the earthquake recovery. And I put a link there. There's a, a group that goes to Nepal. They organize like 200 to 500 people at a time to go to Nepal to not only help Nepal, but also learn how to do the earth bagging. So it's a beautiful cultural trip at the same time. It's helping uh, a beautiful community and learning a skill that you can use towards your own community or, or other situations. Because once these people are trained on how to build earth bagging, they're requested to come to other events you know, around the world that if something needs doing, they're on the email list. So to me, these are the kind of people that we are meant to to rub elbows with is to help recover, help heal, help uh, make things a better place. 
So there's nothing wrong in gaining expertise in this kind of niche that we set the pace for the rest of society. So if there's any questions, I don't know if people Uh, have questions. Sarah, this is Brian. Uh, There there was something in the chat that uh, somebody asked about. And, you know, I I know a lot of us have been studying, you know, possible uh, changes that may come to the face of this continent in hopefully not the near future, but it looks like it could possibly be the near future. And um, not just with weather changes, but actual geological changes to this continent. And have you done any research into that? And do you really have um, a specific area of land or an area where you would like to have this set up at? Well, again, you know, barring any kind of craziness, I mean, for the last five years, I think, we've been warning about the new Madrid line because there's been fracking all along it and they are purposely trying to break it open to possibly drown out the whole breadbasket of the United States, which is outrageous. So many activists have, you know, made stances and, and you know, to reduce false flag, to uh, to stop tracking along the new Madrid line, et cetera. So, I mean, barring any kind of crazy, depraved stuff, the breadbasket is pretty solid. So uh, there's over uh, 4,000 intentional communities already within the United States. These All right, are awesome. These are smaller communities. <clears throat> They're smaller communities. It's anywhere from uh, five to 50 people, most of these. But um, they've bought the property in the clear, meaning it's no debt, no mortgage. Uh, they've invested in building materials. They've uh, created whatever guidelines for the for the farm or property. And um, there are directories for intentional communities. There's quite a few activists. I've referred intentional communities to you when they've been kicked out of their homes because of illegal foreclosures. And, you know, I would say most states have at least uh, 10 to 20 of these. It may not be like half an hour away, but at least it's within the same state. So, you know for people that really need to know that kind of information, I can give them the directory link. But again, they're going to have to do some shopping because there are all level of intentional communities. Some are Christian, some are Buddhist, some are um, Wiccan, some, you know, people are going to have to shop around. But again, there's over 4,000 intentional communities that are already existing. And that's not including right. another. That's not including another two thousand that exists around Europe and uh, South America. So, so yeah, it seems like there's more and more people waking up to everything all the time. So <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, let me open this up. If anybody had any questions or anything, just let us know uh, what 
name you are going by and where you're from. So, who's up? If I may. Mm-hmm. Yes, how are you doing? Hi, Brian. Hi, Sarah. This is Dave in the Hi. Thumb. Uh, Sarah, we're friends on Facebook. Um, I'm, my wife and I are uh, into longevity. I'm a good friend of Char Murphy's, and uh, I know your dad pretty awesome. well, too. Yes. <laughs> I do do it. It's such a awesome. pleasure to hear you. I was quite uh, pleasantly surprised to hear you as the guest on this call. Um, <laughs> love you. You're awesome. <laughs> my wife, Pam, you. is Thank you. <laughs> Pam saying, sign me up, sign me up. <laughs> um, Very it's, good. It's an awesome uh, idea. I love it. And uh, I do have one concern, though, and I'm I'm trying to – I'm batting my brain trying to remember the guy's name, but I just recently heard that we just entered into um, a window from 2017 to 2038 uh, – high, high earthquake, um, you know, patterns because of the weather uh, and the, you know, the anomalies going on in our, uh, you know, in our mm, outer space, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so he, this guy said, if you live, be, he said, if you live between uh, St. Louis and Nashville, move. Um, well, I'm going to say there there are always probabilities, but I, no one can say for sure. Um, what I will say in regards to earth bagging is that they have the highest retention rate of any building structure on earth. Uh, Nepal had amazingly terrible earthquakes and aftershocks and every single one of the five earth bag structures that were built before the earthquake on the mountain none of them were destroyed wow where all the other buildings came tumbling down so this is why in Nepal there's a drive to do earth bag building more than you know, just quickly regular brick building and stucco <clears throat> because it was a disaster how much was destroyed in these earthquakes. And we're talking major earth movement. I can imagine. So, so uh, this is one of the reasons I chose earth bag building. The other reason was because of 500 to 1,000 years uh, you know, durability for these structures. And, you know, if you're going to put time and effort, blood, sweat, and tears into a project like this, especially as an herbal school for holistic healing and, and teaching, um, you want it to be around for many years. This is not just, you know, a 50-year project. This will hopefully be all put within to a, a, a sovereign trust board so that, you know, after we're long gone, the the mission and the project and the living, you know, progeny will be able to benefit from our wisdom. 
and our efforts. <clears throat> so, you know, I, I really intend this to be a a botanical wonderland that will be a desired stop for many people just to, to view it. Like many people stop by Amish cities because of their their expertise and their creativity. Um, I, I intend that this, you know, community will be like a paradise on earth that is very doable if people cooperate and put their effort together. Now, I'm not really asking anybody's, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, dibs or, or anything until we get a certain level of fundraising that the land is actually going to be bought. Now, I intend to look between uh, Kentucky and Tennessee, uh, possibly Indiana, but again, I want it to be near natural water sources. So we'll see how things develop over the next year or two with the fundraising. I have a couple of artists working on artwork so hopefully by the fall, we'll be ready to produce uh, a lot of fundraising items and we can put a call out to people if they'll help promote this for us and with us if they're interested in being a part of this. So, you know, as things get more developed in regards to the fundraising arm of this, then we can can really work on making this viral and start uh, setting down exact guidelines that we expect people to do. Like I, I would expect people to uh, read and know those two papers, uh, two links that I put, the Declaration of Independence and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. In, I'm not going to go into the wordplay of human. We're talking about living beings, mankind, uh, are due certain levels of respect and and allowed to live and let live. So those are required to live by. Now, what I envision is that there will also be requirement for a secured party creditor or some kind of sovereign testimonies, meaning, you know, whatever would be filed with your county recorder, you would also file with us so that we would have it on file within the community that these are all sovereigns. These are not citizens. They're not uh, public trust. They're all private trust. And therefore, no one has business on there unless it's private trust. So those are the three main things that I see for anyone that's actually living there. Now, what I was envisioning is that each person would put into escrow account and it would be held for them. So if there are you know, uh, like an individual, they would put in 2500 If it's a couple, they'd put in 5000 
And what that would do is make like a latchkey ownership of their condo or their house. And I have it kind of divided up that there would be one and two bedroom condos. That building concept has not even been developed, but it would be something like duplexes that are kind of connected on one wall on angles, uh, maybe like two-story duplexes for the two bedrooms. But there would be three sections of them. So it would be singles, it would be young families, like one or two babies, and then uh, elderly, so that the sound requirements would not interfere with people. The young folks can blare their music. The the ones with babies crying in the middle of the night doesn't bother anybody, and the elderly can pretty much do what they want unless they want to live in the other two sections. But at least it would be more peaceful and quiet. Uh, I envision as part of giving to the community that young folks, whether they're teens or young adults, they would help the seniors if they need cooking, bathing, shopping, lifting for them, whatever. So they're not left to themselves. You know, it just infuriates me to see societies that it's a huge thing if a neighbor bothers to mow a lawn for a 90-year-old woman. I mean, to me, that's just not right. It should be automatic. We should be taking care of our elderly. They've given of their lives, and, you know, especially the ones that have given to community, they they should be protected and loved and, and doted on. So um, I just, I see that this kind of community can, can educate the world on how to behave towards each other as brother and sister instead of separate. So, um, you know, it's just a lot of things that, that can be done, a lot of creativity. Uh, I, I feel that we already see this on a smaller scale within libraries and botanical gardens that the communities pitch in to do things together. But of course, these are places that nobody's bothered to make a living space out of it too. So this is the new twist on it. But I think that with self-responsible and uh, aware people, I think that it's very possible. And with the other intentional communities that people have done and are succeeding in, I think that we can do something at this larger scale. So I just, I love this project and I'm just like, <laughs> I really get excited about it. Well, and, it sounds awesome. And uh, I I think we'd like to get involved in something like that. Um, I'm just uh you know, leery of that that New Madrid fault line for sure, but uh, I'm sure there's a yeah, lot. Yeah, we're we're gonna stay away from the Madrid fault line. <laughs> yeah, anywhere <laughs> anywhere between St. Louis and Nashville, stay away. <laughs> now, uh, another thing, of course, especially you and your wife, you you know that I'm Dr. Wallach's daughter and Dad's mission on natural health and. Uh, the pathology and forensics behind natural health and how to reverse over 900 degenerative diseases. So 
this will probably be another key feature of this community would be knowledge and affirmation of living this kind of natural health life that doesn't mean that you live less uh, you know uh, beautifully it just it, it means that we'll be living at natural health in a gourmet level of that kind of thing because we can do all kinds of beautiful things through this cafe bistro that whether people live raw food or just vegan or uh, grass-fed meats or whatever it is, we will be able to, um, you know, accommodate that kind of lifestyle within the holistic organic foods and, uh, you know, Dad always talks about nutrient-dense foods and nutrient-dense supplements. And so these are expertises that we would want to, to bring there. We would want to bring in all kinds of natural healers, massage therapists, uh, natural midwifing, all kinds of things that the rest of the world wants. And so we would be able to have it all there by bringing in these kind of people within the community and be able to offer it to the rest of the world without all kinds of crazy red tape, especially if they're, um, you know, if they're sovereign and they've already filed all their paperwork with the private trust, they shouldn't have to fear the government stealing their baby as soon as they give birth. So this is another thing that I will be working on that will have, you know, clinic and, and birthing places within the community so that we can accommodate this kind of thing. And if you look at my curator and co-curator complex, there's extra buildings there. And what that's really about is to be able to bring in outside uh, experts, you know, very important people or very connected people, whether it's uh, Dalai Lama, whether it's uh, Judge Anna and her whole family, whether it's, you know, whoever it is that's visiting, they would have the accommodation of a four-bedroom, three-bathroom house. So if they need visitors to come to them and set up hours or whatever, they would have a home base that they can accommodate that. And so that's what the curator and co-curator have for four-bedroom houses in the complex so that when we have different guests of high caliber, they would have privacy yet at the same time be able to handle their own business and, and community needs as they do this. <clears throat> so uh, that's what those extra houses are for. So each of those curator and co-curator are fenced-in complexes. And the whole property I intend to have fenced and I just recently found out that there's certain um, light uh, guards 
along fencing. So I guess they're connected uh, wirelessly to some kind of home base that if something passes it, you can check the fence line. So we're talking about 300 acres. That's a lot of fence line, <laughs> but it's worth knowing if somebody's crossing our fence line. Absolutely. Well, I think it's so, a wonderful idea. Where can we see your ideas? I do have a Facebook group page. So uh, if you look up Earth Song Farm Garden and Herbal School, I have it on the discussion page. There's a link to it. Um, you're welcome to join that. I have not done uh, meeting calls. This is the first real outreach to the general public, you know, within the sovereign and holistic communities. But by fall, we're going to be really organizing full, you know, fundraising, full brochures. Um, my next project with the engineers is to do uh, an artistic rendition of that layout of the farm garden so that people at least have a visual what we're trying to accomplish within 300 acres. And again, as a rectangle, I mean, that that's just, you know, like a preference. But when we actually go to buy a property, it might look like, you know, weird shape. So, of course, the layout would change a little bit. But at least we're putting out there what we want to accomplish within this space for the community and for self-reliance, self-governance, and uh, self-sustaining. Um, I'm going to mention the two articles on Russia when it had the Soviet Union fall and fail. Um, Putin came into power and one of the first things he did was follow the uh, statistics on how much of people's incomes were being used towards their food. And they found that it was close to 60% of their food, you know, money income was going to just buy their food needs. So at that point, I guess, with all the turmoil and chaos and, and IMF, uh, you know, totally raping their assets. Uh, what Putin and his government did was give out a hectare of land. I don't know how many acres that is, 20 acres or 30 acres, something like that. Uh, a hectare of land to each family that if on condition they would farm it for their own farm use, like homestead farming, they would get the hectare of land for free. So millions and millions and millions of hectares of land were given to all these people in Russia. And within 10 years, the statistics showed Russia accomplished 90% food sovereignty. So that's a very high number. The United States is somewhere around 65% food sovereignty. So 
I don't know if it's gone up or down since two years ago when I looked it, but um, that, that's that's what has been happening is that people have been removed from the land and forced to depend on government for your job, even if it's private sector. If your job dries up, you're you're kind of stuck with what do you do? You try to get a job within a week or two, but you know there there's no self sustainability, and that's because the the government systems have removed all of us away from the land and being able to be self reliant. So by doing these sustainable communities, we're returning people to self-reliance. Every single person of those 500 people living on that farm, within two years, they will be self-reliant. If they were dropped off on a five-acre farm tomorrow, they could turn around and, and create a farm. So that is a huge uh, positive for any nation to be 100% food sovereign, meaning they're not relying on any uh, outside import-export other than just because they like it, like tropical fruits or or whatever. But we're, we're talking about the United States imports a lot of its basic fruits and vegetables and grains because it's not being grown enough here. And especially the organic, uh, I think it's close to 90% imported for organic needs because they cannot, they they don't seem to earmark enough land or enough subsidies for for organic farmers to to grow organic crops. So it's cheaper and easier to import it from other countries like South America that have all these organic farms. So this is something that we as thinking individuals, self-responsible and looking into the future, we we have the chance to correct this, this situation that is removing people from self-reliance. And a lot of people will tell me, well, I'm just not ready to move out of the city. Well, there's a clip I put, a link uh, to a group called Urban Farming. And what they've done is take over um, kind of like uh, abandoned buildings in downtown whatever city it was. I think it's Kansas City that that were just like, you know, empty holes. And they were given the title to the land on condition that they'll, you know, fix it up and put it together. So they created an urban farm on like uh, four different properties put together and they have already impacted the city uh, violence within downtown city because they bring in these kids from the streets after school to learn how to do urban farming rather than wandering the streets causing trouble. So, you know, they've already made a huge impact in four or five years that they exist. And they're still 
just begins. <laughs> so take a look at that. Um, I can also put all kinds of uh, indoor vertical gardening clips. Uh, anywhere, anywhere you have fluorescent plant UV lighting, you can grow things indoors. <clears throat> Doesn't matter whether it's a, an apartment or a huge house. People can grow things indoors and have been doing so for years and years. The technology is there. It just needs the information to be uh, spread out and people need to just try it, you know? Yes, uh, I, this is Brian. I want to bring up also if people go into the chat and the uh, talk show link, I posted um, the post for the advertisement for this call there. And people can go there and look in the comments where you have put um, links to a lot of the things that you've mentioned. And so if people are looking for that, they can find them there. Um, you know, you were talking about the dependency that we have here in America uh, with food and our own, you know, personal sustainability where we're at. And I was reading some information this past week that was talking about various vegetables and things that are used in America. And it seemed like 70 to 80% of those items are all coming out of California. They're all being mm -hmm. harvested out of there. And we know what the future outlook for that landmass actually looks like. You know, so if something was to happen on California, it could be catastrophic to the whole to the whole nation, to this whole continent here, actually. And you know, one of the things that uh, one of the things that a lot of people aren't really looking at and paying a whole lot of attention to, but I have been for about a year now. About a year ago, I took I, I went and purchased a really good compass, and I went outside on the pavement, and I took a string, and spray painted where north was showing at that time okay um if people go and check out i think his name is maverick star on youtube he's been tracking the north pole and you know after when it was, it was first actually being mapped around 1800 um every 30 years it was moving a range of i would say 30 to 50 miles but um then the 30 years leading up to about the year 2000, it had moved about 500 miles, and it had done the same thing again from 2000 to like 2012. Well, from 2012 until today, it's moved about 800 miles now. It's on a breakneck speed, and it's moving towards what would kind of look to us like northeast on the map, you know, which uh -huh. means for the, those of us uh, here in the States, we are actually moving closer to what would be considered the equator, you know, and so we're going to be moving closer to those temperatures. And I was in a store here a couple of days ago, and I noticed they had one aisle, which it didn't surprise me, but they had one aisle that was full of nothing but space heaters, different sized little small space heaters. Well, I remember as little as five years ago in the wintertime down here in southwest Florida, um, if you needed a space heater, because, you know, I spent a lot of my time out on the line. I like looking outside, feeling like I'm outside. But I was thinking about sticking a little space heater underneath my table out here just, just to kind of take the chill off a little bit. And at that time, like five years ago, I went looking around numerous stores. Nobody had space heaters. They were sold out. 
because at that time, the winters were getting chilly. It was getting cold here at night. And, you know, this winter, I've yet to open the drawer where I keep, like, my nighttime winter clothes at, or where I keep my, my longer, like, pajamas or things like that. I'm still sitting here with shorts and no shoes on, which if this was even um, two years ago, there's no way I'd be sitting here like this right now. This is February, and this is when it's supposed to be really chilly. And my mom just uh, flew out today. She just spent several weeks down here with me. She's from Michigan. She was up on Michigan. And she normally comes down in the fall. It's so warm down here. She's like, gosh, I'm going to come down in the winter next time just so it's not so hot, you know, because she's not used to that warm temperature. Her, she doesn't have the thin blood like everybody down here does, you know. And the, the few weeks that she spent down here, you know, when she left today, we were both just shaking our head. We, we could not believe how warm it has been the whole time she's been here. And so I, I think there really are changes going on, and people need to be aware of it. You know, um, there's been movies put out, whether it was by um, Al Gore or it, some other individuals, you know, talking about global warming. Well, in those movies where they were discussing global warming, you know, there's a little bit of fact and a little bit of fiction in it. You know, the the fact was that, yeah, there is global warming going on, but I think the fiction is the reason for it going on. And the reasons are not the reasons they gave us. It is not man-made. There's something else happening here, and they don't want people to know about it. And that's the reason why I think it was only uh, six, seven years ago, the EPA closed all their libraries not just to the public, but even to other scientists are not allowed to go into the, and there was like seven or eight of them here in the States. They closed down the libraries. They didn't want people to go in and start digging info and and learning what they had figured out. So people need to be really taking to heart the information that you're giving and really starting to think about, you know, what, where am I going to be a year from now? You know, am I in the safest place to be? Um, do I have my cupboard stock like I need it to be? Am I surrounded by like-minded individuals? You know, when you were speaking, it reminded me of uh, back to John the Baptist and what John the Baptist was doing at the time. And I'm sorry, I hate to tell people out there, but Yeshua did not start the Catholic Church or whatever church. But what's happening is he was educating people on getting out of Rome, which means removing themselves from Babylon, which means getting back to uh, their, their true source, getting back to the Creator. And John the Baptist was, was baptizing people, and they weren't get, so they weren't being baptized into the, the corporate Rome. They were getting baptized into the church of um, our Creator, the church of, of our God. And these families would get together, uh, say 10 families or so, and... One, say, for instance, might be a builder. Another one might be a great into horticulture or farming. Um, another one, like nowadays, it might be into electricity and have a lot of knowledge with that. And other ones, wives might be great at making clothing. You know, And so they were able to be a good, cohesive group and take care of each other's needs. And as those groups got bigger, they sprouted out and started other groups, you know, and Today, we see that happen in the form of churches, you know, but even the churches turn around as much as they say that they believe in God, they believe in Yahuwah, they believe in a creator, but though 
what do they do? They turn around and, oh, I got to be a 501c3, you know, that way I don't have to worry about taxes, which they should know they don't have to worry about anyway. But, you know, even at that level, people are still looking in the wrong place for their protection and, exactly. and for uh, their own sustainability. We need to be looking within ourselves because God put it within ourselves. And it's time for us to return back to doing it the way it's supposed to be done because that's the only thing that's going to sustain itself. Uh, no corporate government, no anything, no county food pantry, none of those are going to be able to take care of the people. The only thing that's going to be able to take care of the people is the people themselves. Yeah, I think this is a beautiful idea. Thank you. Uh, what I wanted to bring up, if anybody has traveled long distance, they'll see as they go through towns, you know, it'll be like kind of outlying fields and farms and whatever for miles and miles and miles. And then they'll get into kind of like outlying suburbs or whatever. And then the town itself is like this bubble of uh, all kinds of corporate buildings and offices and restaurants and stores. And then you drive through, it's turn, returning into suburbs and then miles and miles of fields until you get to the next city. And it just kind of hit me that it's kind of like people are being drawn into these urban centers like a bubble and they are hardly self-reliant. I mean, you do have certain people with skill sets, but um, most people could not take care of themselves on a long-term basis of longer than two weeks. So this is something that has only been instituted in the last hundred years that people don't have their homesteads. And, you know, again, uh, it used to be that people would gather to to network together, like Brian says. Someone might have an expertise in carpentry. Someone would have an expertise in electricity. Another one would be uh, expertise in dressmaking or uh, knitting or whatever, canning. So what these communities used to do was gather at like the farmer's market and share and trade and do things together to help each other. And this is what we have to get back to is more uh, networking with people. Most people have a list. Oh, I have a few friends that do this, a few friends that do that, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it's still not the level that, like, the Amish have. That if someone needs a barn, they all drop their work for two days and they put up a whole barn. <laughs> so... You know, we need to learn from these communities that work together like a family or like a tribe and watch how they are able to make progress because they cooperate and help each other. <clears throat> and we can return that back to our communities by showing that it can be done. Yeah, absolutely. It can be done. I don't know if you're uh, cutting out, Sarah. Or... 
Yeah, I think it cut out for for a whole minute. <laughs> uh, but, it wasn't quite that. It wasn't quite that long. Okay. Uh, yes, Justice Johnson, how are you doing? Fabulous. Uh, I've heard most most of the uh, dialogue that Sarah has uh, played out. I did present her a what I call a Kobayashi Maru scenario before the recording started, and I'd like her to respond on how to engage. I'm the kind of my parents for to give you an explanation on me in extreme brief. My father was a loner, and my mother was a hermit. If they had waited a week longer, I would never have been conceived. <laughs> and they courted for 30 days. Uh, she may disagree. My mom might disagree with that. She kind of, oh, yeah, you think, type of attitude, however, any of it. Uh, so I'm not noted for my strong social skills and going out. I'm not necessarily noted for being a people a people guy. Uh that being the case, and, and as I stated before, one of the uh, the only one in this neighborhood I know that's attempting to correct my status, all completed, waiting on recognition, and taking my home by land patent and all that these stuff. I'm the only one in the neighborhood I know doing that within a four-block four area. How do you, Sarah, uh, suggest if you've got lack if you're lacking the people's skills to be in contact with neighbors and they're not noted for their uh, efforts that direction as well. They're just neighbors, uh, people in the north renting the house, people in the south renting the house. Uh, I'm the only one that actually truly outright owns, regardless of what the county says. Mm-hmm. What do you? What are your suggestions in, in, in that parameter setup? to do this. I, I like the idea. I've got 15,000 square feet okay. here and two and two houses. One's a two-story Victorian that I'm that I'm dwelling in and the other one's a one-story cottage about 1,000 square feet and plenty of place to grow stuff. I'm just not noted for my gardening skills and I've not very, never been a big fan of it. I would help anybody garden in my garden and it's got yeah. soil. I mean, it, it, it has got soil. Uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now had, there, there's a few options. He, there's a few options I can recommend. Yeah. Okay, number one, there's YouTube clips how to do organic farming from the beginning. So you would start with a now, few I'm like knowledge of how to. I'm just not a bit. I'm just not passionate about organics as such. Uh, well, organic I'm the kind of guy that, the kind of guy no that is mechanical, not. Uh, dirt. Right. Now, what you might want to do is put out there amongst like-minded people. I know it, it may be hard for people nearby, but they might be willing to drive an hour and work on the garden once a week so that there's a garden there, and then you return the favor with some kind of services, you know. So, so you're talking I about a, a service for service barter on that issue, okay? Fine. Exactly. Now, let's say people ha- are kind of, you know, settled into uh, their own property, their own community, and they don't want to pick up and move to a community like what I'm saying. That's fine. Ah, but I'll raise my hand. But, that. but what? If you took a two-week vacation for 
some kind of like retreat or R&R at our community farm. That that would be a really fun destination, depending on what other events are happening. Because I figure I we'll do at least three festivals during the year, so yeah. it would fundraise plus bring a lot of outside vendors in. And okay. you know, one of those things that I want to do, especially in the summers when there's not school for the rural school is those dorm rooms would be turned into uh, like overnights, you know, whether a family stays in the dorm room because there's, it would be a room of eight bunk beds built into the walls. And, um, you know, the classroom would include kitchen and two full bathrooms. So each bathroom on each side could be used for that particular family that, staying there. Now, the the other thing that's beautiful about this farm community is that by only putting two hours a day into whatever the, the field work or the auditorium work or the office work or the, the uh, cafe or farmer's market, whatever, once your two hours is done, you're free to do whatever you want. You're free to to stay within your condo or house as much as you want or go anywhere you want. It's your time. It's your space as long as you don't bother the neighbors, you know. And that's why, like, in the condo section, there'll be three sections, one for young adults that like loud music. Now, if we have a senior that prefers loud music, they can stay there. But, you know each to their own, but it's going to be like the young folks, it's going to be expected. They're going to play loud music. They're going to be up late, making noise, having fun. The The middle group will have young babies. So if anybody walks by and there's, there's toothache baby screams, well, too bad, you know. And then there will be another section that's much quieter for the seniors that really prefer quiet and peace and, you know, no noise. And then, you know, there'll be family houses. There's going to be teacher houses because, you know, we we want these teachers to invest within their community, not just give hours at the school. <clears throat> so they will be part of the community and living within it as well. We hope to, you know, encourage all kinds of experts, whether they're plumbing, whether they're electricians, whether they're physicists, whether they're nuclear, I don't care. If we can use their expertise or be a, a point of, you know, giving them peace of mind to do their research and be a part of the community, um, that's what we want. We want people that have skill sets, artistic qualities, uh, you know, dance, martial arts. A lot of things can be accomplished. So if you look at Oroville, they've done a lot of that. So they have artisan bread makers that have, you know, artisan bread stores, bakeries, uh, martial arts schools. Uh, yoga schools, all kinds of beautiful 
things that are part of their community. They have herbal gardens that everyone donates their time to taking care of. So they do a lot of spiritual outreach. They have a lot of different lectures that come through, whether they live there or whether they're visiting. So this is something that I can envision uh, different speakers coming through, different educators coming through. I can just see Chris Ann Hall giving you know, a lecture to a loaded house. So, you know, these are things that we want to promote and and encourage and and be a place that they can feel as a home base. We still got you, Sarah? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> okay, good. <clears throat> Have you talked so, to Murphy about this project? What happened? I I asked if you talked to Shar Murphy about this project. Of course, but Shar's not into farming. Well, she I know, she, but... <laughs> she wants to do a in-ground garden. That's for sure. Right. But, what about um, her uh, winery? Yeah, well, you know, again, these are things that we can add into the farm community to have on hand so we can market a lot of different things. Well, I hope uh, you're going to be in Dallas uh, in August so we get to meet you. Uh, We were hoping that you were going to be in Indianapolis back in October, but uh, I guess... Yeah, I had... I had, uh, I still have it open, but uh, I had a court of record against the city and the county for trespass, and, you know, it, it still needs to take the next step to the higher court. Oh, in Fort but, Wayne? Yep, Fort oh, Wayne. Oh, no kidding. So, you know, it's like, it definitely hit them between the eyes. They, they're they totally flabbergasted about the whole thing, which shows that it probably hasn't happened in close to 70 years that anyone has opened a court of record in Fort Wayne or uh, Allen County. And, you know, once well, we get it going... to Wallach to slap it to them. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Uh, yep, that sued the FDA and won ten times in federal court. I'm telling you, so, man, I, I we love your dad. Um, I'm sure you <laughs> hear that all the time, but um, yeah, it he, he's awesome. Dad is just ordinary common sense. Yeah, your it. dad is a rock star. I love him. And I just I I live by the same precepts. It's just that I have the personality of my mother, who is very quiet. Even when she was yelling, she whispers. So, you know, it's like I have her ways. I have my father's personality. So um, my mother laughs about me. She's like, they think you're soft and easy until they hit that steel inner side. So, you know. Any any wallet being soft and easy. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, it just, it comes down to common sense. It really does. So, you know, 
I would suggest that as people are doing their projects and their court cases and their challenges and whatever, I strongly suggest putting on some, you know, just good old-fashioned Bonanza, John Wayne, uh, just, just absolutely common sense. And you know, we we have the wherewithal. We're we're given uh, the knowledge and the ability to seek knowledge. So we are required by God that we use this knowledge and wisdom for the betterment, not just ourselves, but for everybody. I, I have to post uh, an image I found tonight. I didn't get time to post it on that discussion page. But it says, if you have more than most people, build a longer table instead of a bigger fence. And I just, I, I cannot help but wholeheartedly agree that we were given more common sense and more wisdom than the average people today. We, we have to make room for them at our tables, include them as often as we can in our day-to-day, because just by rubbing elbows with us, they're going to learn a different way, a different attitude, a different appreciation especially an appreciation of God, because without God, we would have nothing. And this is something that the secular uh, government has tried to divorce people from more than anything. And so the more we show appreciation to our Creator, the more blessing and assistance we get. And, you know, just follow common sense. That's it. So uh, I play a lot of John Wayne movies. <laughs> I, I love the McClintocks. So I think uh, not only is the government trying to divorce us from God, they're trying to divorce us from our own brains. Well, in regards to these. Uh, vaccine, these forced vaccines, the Supreme Court has already declared it unconstitutional to stick you with anything without your permission, even for, you know, blood testing for DUI, and which is what the court case was about. But it also translates that we can refuse any forced vaccinations. And that includes any kind of flu or mandatory vaccination. And it behooves us to share this information. Dr. Rima Lebo, she has, yeah, she's got a website that you can join her registry for uh, unconsent of forced vaccination. And they will, as a group, try to protect people that are being forced into this. So I've shared this on my Facebook page, Doctor's Daughter, uh, quite a few We're times. We're with you on that, too. Yeah. Uh, 
her web page is listed there, and I, I stated, especially California, that's being, you know, tried to force these mandatory vaccinations. People should get involved with her registry, definitely download the Supreme Court case, and make it known absolutely no way to force any kind of needle or vaccination against you or your children because unfortunately without certain high frequency sound chambers and and you know reversing damage it's very hard to reverse chemical damage like this it's doable but you have to take all kinds of special detox and you have to pray a lot that the damage doesn't happen so it's much better prevention than trying to fix it. Now, uh, in June, the end of June, we're going to be doing, uh, in Shipshawana, it's an Amish town, we're going to be doing for the Ultimate Nutrition Center in Indiana that I'm the director of, uh, an event for teaching about natural health. So people are welcome to join that. If you friend me in Doctor's Daughter or Ultimate Nutrition Center Facebook page, you can keep up to date with that. In the next couple of weeks, we'll have pre-registration for the end of June. I think it's June 20, uh, 29th, 30th, and July 1st weekend. The Amish don't do things on Sunday, so we did not schedule Sunday but uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And I hope to have one of the, the nation's top leading uh, educators on non-vaccination as a speaker. And so we'll, we'll know better in the next couple of weeks whether that's possible or not. But If I may, mm-hmm. um, are you familiar with Dr. Sherry Tenpenny? No. You need to check her out. Uh, Sherry, I think it's Ten Penny. Oh, I do, I do, I do know her. Yes, yes. Okay, yes. yeah, she's in Ohio. Um, she's a yeah. virologist, and she is, she is a wonderful speaker against vaccines. You might want to check her out because that, that's like right in her backyard. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, check Absolutely. out Sherry. She would probably love to speak at that. Mhm. And it's just you know, people need to learn how to say no. A lot of people are so afraid of authority, they just capitulate instead of standing on their right, their God-given right, and common sense. And so, uh, you know, being dad's daughter, I knew about the patient's rights that um, uh, Ralph Nader had helped formulate for each state. So there are patients' rights that are listed. You just have to look them up per state. But that alone will cut most of the medical kidnap or medical mandatory enforcement kind of practices. And people need to to be aware. Um, There's a great a uh, knowledgeable man in um, Indianapolis 
that uh, I found online, he was talking about uh, judicial misconduct. And he says that he basically closes down each of the court cases by having the judges recuse themselves because they've already transgressed what's written in the judicial code. But he's smart. He he knows them, but he also brings the book to court. Like, well, it says here this is the judicial process code, and you're not following it. And they have to recuse themselves. So, you know, this is this is what people have to do. They have to know the laws. They have to know what their rights are. And they have to bring whatever evidence they can with them to shove in these people's face. Because these people in corporate agencies are ignorant of law and legality. They're ignorant of everything. All they know is their force of authority. And they misuse it and abuse it often. I think they're drinking the fluoride in the water, too, though. <laughs> I have to. I have to. But, you know, it's these kind of things that you have to call them on it. You know, and Dad, in many of his lectures, he's like, if you're waiting for the government to take care of you, you're lost. <laughs> well, what do they, they, my brother's been telling me since I was a little kid, we're dumbed down, mind controlled lab rats. <laughs> they would like us to stay that way, but we're, we're given God given wisdom and the right to use it. And so that's what we have to do. We have to use our wisdom, our common sense, and trust in God that when we do the right thing, God's going to protect us even if others want to punish us for doing good. And this is something that my family has stood on for all of my life is that God does not want people to suffer needlessly. And that God sent us a canoe, a ship, and a helicopter. We gotta get the signs. We gotta, you know, we and we, you know, God helps those who helps help themselves. And uh, you know, thank God for your dad's research. That you know, we we know there's a way to you know, to to fix stupid, right? Exactly. Exactly. There's definitely ways to grow new brain synapses. That's right. <laughs> so, you know, that's the beauty of it. We tell everybody, since we met your dad, we tell all of our new folks, you know, many are called, few are chosen. Um, you know, we call on a lot of people, but only the chosen ones will come with us. Yeah, only the ones that are getting it. Thank right. you so much for what you do, Sarah. We love you so much. Oh, thank you so much, you guys. I just... I'm so excited about this, Brian, and I'm just so excited that a lot of things are coming into, you know, place to be able to to actually get this up and running. And so many beautiful people that even if they don't do it full time for many years, they they can participate. They can be 
part of it. They they can add their expertise to it. And this is something that will keep growing on its own because of creative ideas that are brought forward. So just very exciting. If and we I just may. No, you know yeah. what? I, I do totally agree. This is huge. You know, people are waking up on on mass levels. You know, the the great awakening of a hundred plus years ago is nothing compared to I think what we're about to experience now. And uh Justice Johnson, did you had something to say? Uh, actually, I want to pray that in the name of Yeshua, this whole vision be completed with all the parts necessary to do so, and then some, for the glory of Yahweh God the Father, that everything necessary to complete it be brought forth as it's as uh, Father Yahweh commands, and that everything's done according to His purposes, His will, by His Spirit, and done in His perfection and the holy authority of Yeshua HaMashiach be it so. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. And My pleasure. I, I think one of the biggest problems, I, I think one of the biggest problems that people experience as well is, you know, we want uh, to do everything according to the path of, of of Yah or Yahuwah and Yeshua. And what people, the roadblock that they hit all the time is something that's been ingrained in their mind, and that is themselves and what they want. We have to learn to step aside. We have to learn to get out of the way so that his plan can be brought forward. And oh, realize that we are the we are the we are the conduits. We are the conduits. Exactly. Exactly. Now I think the other thing is we need to trust more in God that even when we hit road bumps there's reasons for them. Because a lot of people they they fall apart when they're hit with all kinds of tribulations and troubles. And what I suggest strongly is people read Psalms heavily in regards to King David and King Solomon. These two kings had so many tribulations, so many people against them, and yet they clung to God. And all the prayers to God give huge incentive and inspiration that even when it looks like it's a stone wall, it comes tumbling down. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, he can move mountains, right? Absolutely. So, you know, I just, I suggest that people start pulling up information about what King David had to go through personally. He had his best friend's father, the king, Saul, uh, chasing him with armies to kill him. And yet God protects him. I mean, oh, the odds of him getting away. <laughs> oh. Hopefully he doesn't move those earthen bags when he's moving those mountains, though. <laughs> well, I, I always say my prayers that whatever needs to move, move it gently, please. <laughs> move it around us, right? <laughs> <laughs> move it gently so that, 
nothing innocent gets harmed. And, you know, um, I strongly suggest that people start forming more prayer groups. This is something I have uh, hinted at, and the Bundys group have done this, at least for while they were going through the courts in Oregon. I think they need to start it up again while they're going through the court in Nevada, but start prayer cycles so that there's somebody doing a prayer every, you know, let's say someone will will commit to an hour at this time during the day, someone else will commit to this time during the day, and do it 24-7 when there's these big events that really matter to the community. Um, the, The power of prayer is huge. So if we can organize like a prayer wheel that there's 24-7 people that are committing to an hour of prayer at least once or twice a week, if we have like 100 people that are committed, it should only be like once a week, twice a week, that people would have to donate that hour of prayer. But especially when this is a spiritual battle, prayer makes the difference. And so I'm just putting it out there that if we organize a prayer wheel that's going, and as people need prayers, it's added in, this does thousands of manpower hours within minutes of prayer. Or two or more together, there he is. What? Where two or more are gathered, there he is. Exactly. Exactly. So I know that they, the Bundys were very successful in Oregon, and they they definitely felt that the prayer cycling helped tremendously with that. And so I just... I consider it that it it behooves us to do this more and more often rather than hours and hours of legal research in order to to find the right answer. Sometimes it's just changing the perception through prayer will change that judge's attitude for whatever court case is before them. Either that or you'll be showing the blocks that you need to put up in front of them. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know... As I say, there's been many times where uh, I've been faced with something that was just insurmountable. I mean, there was a situation here several weeks ago where I was looking for something that was within a 50-mile radius. Now, I, I live in a very populated area with lots of businesses, uh, thousands of homes. I mean, there, there's a million people down here. How am I going to find what I'm looking for within a 50-mile radius? And I started looking and said, you know what? I'm stupid. I lifted my hands to heaven and left it to him. The next day, he took me right there. Exactly. You know? So I just uh, I want to put it out there that... 
you know, man builds and God laughs. So better to start out with the proper foundation, the proper prayers, the proper uh, attitude and perception before we we try to to do our toil and our due diligence. It always behooves the the request of prayer and and connection with God before we we do things. And, you know, I, I do want to put, I, I don't really want to call it a disclaimer, but I, I really would want to put this out here as well, is that when people start studying law, when you start studying equity, when you start studying what's really going on and finding out the real truth behind everything, you know, when, when I first started looking into this stuff, I really expected that I was going to run into a, a lot of atheists and just nasty people. And I did run into a few nasty people, I must say, but... I ran into some of the most God-fearing, Yahuwah-fearing people that I have ever met. And in learning this information, I learned more about what Yeshua was trying to tell us when he was here. And a lot of people people get turned off when they hear anything like religious being talked about. Number one, religion is a man-made construct, not... A God-made construct. Okay. Amen. And exactly. And people need people need to realize. You know, you look at the laws that are being written and the things that are being done. The Ten Commandments being taken down. Um, the promotion of atheism in this country. And if that doesn't tell you something, nothing else should. And that is that if this corporate government and these administrators, you know what, they don't want you to believe in God. They don't want you to believe in yep. God at all. They're going to promote that to you because you know what? They believe in Him more than anyone does. And just yep. like uh, Satan himself, he can quote you the Scripture better than Billy Graham because <laughs> he knows. Now, now, one of the things that I have always loved, and one of the things that I think is is the true uh, path the future is the Declaration of Independence. Our founding fathers used the word creator because they knew it within infinite wisdom that it would be many, many different groups of Christians, Jews, Muslims, indigenous, that they used the specific word of creator instead of God in order to encompass all paths. So this is something that shows how, according to universal law, the Declaration of Independence really is. And the tremendous sacrifice that 53 of the 56 signers were horribly attacked for signing shows the the deep sacrifice they made for this great nation and for the world. You know what, you're absolutely right. And people don't people don't realize when when you look at that fifty three of the fifty six signers and look at their lives, you know, nowadays they're calling people domestic terrorists and things like that. Well, you know what? 
take those definitions back to that time, and those are the same exact labels that were put on those people. And those men exactly. stood their ground. They stood up for the creator because they knew what was right, and they lost their farms. A lot of them were left penniless, but they knew that what they were doing was the right thing to do, and so they kept plugging forward. Absolutely. And it ultimately created this great nation. This is not a small nation, even if it's been usurped. It is not a small nation. It is not piddly. So the, the, that original sacrifice for universal law and universal principle for the creator within the founding document is absolutely golden. Well, and you know what? They use the name creator, and like you said, that's been used pretty much universally. And you go into all different um, groups of people. You go into all different countries. You go into all different ethnicities. And you're going to hear some of the same stories, maybe just a little different, but you're going to hear the same stories that are in Scripture. Everybody knows the same things of the past. They, they know what happened. If you go into um, the old um, ancient texts of the Orient, okay, and you look mm-hmm. at the word boat, well, the symbols they used for the word boat was the people that were on the ark. It was uh, Noah, his wife, three sons, and three kids. The, the symbols they used was eight mouths. Eight mouths are the symbols they use for the word boat, you know. So mm-hmm. it, a, a lot of people think, oh, this is just made-up fables. It was written by who knows who or whatever. Well, you know what? If you want to think that, fine. But all these uh, different ethnicities all over the world all know these truths, you know. And his name may be different to all of them. And there's actually a place in Scripture where Yeshua says, you know, that you don't know the name. You don't know me because you don't know the name. Exactly. And nobody really knows the name. And I I really would admonish people to go and not just read uh, the Scripture, but go and read those books that they left out because they left those books out for a reason. You look in the book yeah. of Thomas where Yeshua is saying, you want to know where God is? He says, split a piece of wood open, you will see God. Look at a blade of grass, you will see God. Feel the wind, you felt God. God is everything. He, he exactly. is totally every little atom, which means he's even part of you. That's where he lives. <laughs> he lives in you. He's knocking on the door of your heart. Hey, you can accept it or not accept it. It's going to be turmoil if you don't, but <laughs> he's there. And he's eternal. So what makes you think you're not eternal? And I hate it when people complain about the word sovereign. They're like, oh, there's only one true sovereign. That's God. Okay, we'll point to him. Where is he? Let me see him. Because he's everywhere. He's everything. He's you and me. And if we were created in the image of a sovereign, then what does that make you? A sovereign. Another sovereign? Exactly. If you step up to the plate, you have if you if you step up to the plate, and everybody feels that oh a, a sovereign is on top and answers to no one, no, that's not true. 
everybody answers to somebody, including a sovereign. And his sovereign people answer to who? Oh, his sovereign. So they answer to him. They don't answer to these men that are going to come and go from the face of this earth. They answer to him. And that's who we're going to have to answer to at the end of the day. Well, that's the bottom line, is that so many people think that they don't have to answer to God. And, you know, ultimately, they should be looking in the mirror because if they are the image of God, they they have to face themselves. You know, there's a quote by uh, John F. Kennedy. Actually, it's not a quote, I don't think. It's something that he wrote um, in one of his two or three books prior to becoming president. Um, It might have been when the lights went out in Chicago or something like that. But um, he said that whatever he does, he does what he knows is right because when he goes to sleep at night, he wants to be able to go to sleep knowing that what he did was correct. And what did they do to him? They killed him. You know, Mm -hmm. there's going to be martyrs along the way. We have modern-day martyrs like him. But and modern day martyrs like Lavoie Fedicum. Exactly. But we have to trust but, in God and move forward. You know, we we each have our gifts, our special abilities, and we have the right to network with like minded so that we strengthen ourselves and we strengthen others. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we're knocking on the door two hours here now, Sarah. So if anybody had a question for you or anything, uh, this would be a good time to uh, pipe in. Otherwise, like I said, um, on the comment section for the link in Tactical Sovereignty for this call, um, you've posted a whole bunch of info there that people can access. And they can also go and find information uh, from you on your Facebook page and um, do- uh, Doctor's Daughter. Uh, do you want to go and mention those things again so people can go to those places and look information up? Yeah, what I'll do is I'll go ahead and put the links on that discussion page of Doctor's Daughter and Ultimate Nutrition Center so that those people that want to look, they can look and join the... Uh, I want to put some more links of Ubuntu in regards to, you know, holistic communities because it has a lot of really good ideas. And, you know, the goal is once we do the first one, <clears throat> we're pretty sure so many people are going to be ecstatic about it that it very well possibly could be that at least every county will build one and every province around the world will want one. Because these will be uh, <clears throat> you still there? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, you you just okay. blanked out. <laughs> so, you know, pretty much after this first one is built, we'll be getting lots of requests to build in other counties, other provinces because it will become very popular as a gem of, you know, human achievement together with 
creativity and artistic and uh, self-responsibility all braided into this beautiful complex. Um, Sarah, there is something else I want to pick your brain about this evening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it falls in line with, you know, people are going, gosh, that's a great idea. That would be perfect for people. But, you know, I'm 15, 20 years into a career. I've got family, friends, da, 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 surrounding me. I, I would love to live in a place like that, but mm-hmm. I'm not ready to uproot. And yeah. when we go back and look at um, the Declaration of Independence and specifically the Constitution, uh, there was something put in place that created everything that has kind of gotten forgotten about and that is committees of safety that people could start in their own counties everywhere um yeah what kind of info do you have on committees of safety i'm sure you've looked into that a little bit yeah now in general you need at least five people to do a committee of safety Otherwise, it's just like a one-two. I mean, you can do it with one or two people, but you're you're kind of like paddling upstream. <clears throat> so those communities that have five or more people will actually get something done because then you can vote in a county sheriff and uh, uh, administrator for the grand jury and start organizing for a common law grand jury. Now... You know, so it really takes the gumption of certain people that know uh, these things to to actually put it into place. And that's one of the things that I was involved for a year and a half with National Liberty Alliance uh, to get these uh, administrators going and building up a pool of people for common law because most people don't even realize what common law is. It's just common sense, but so few people use common sense. <laughs> They're kind of like floundering what is common law. So um, there's meetupgroups.com that you can sign up for a meetup group, you know, wherever you set it to meet, whether the library or, you know, um, Denny's or something. But People will start coming if you put it out there so that you can start educating a base group to get that going. Um, Now, it will take probably over 100 people before you can even get anywhere near to setting up some kind of militia. Even though there's militia groups, most of them have been corporatized, so most of them are not helpful. I would say it's sporadic which ones are helpful. So uh, I would suggest that those people that get 100 people organized that own their own guns to just organize that they're prepared to do things with whatever uh, common law sheriff they've elected. And they're going to have to use extreme diplomacy and extreme education and notifications uh, to use violence at at the very, very, very last resort because we don't need people thinking that we're, you know, gun crazy. Uh, 
even though it's a protected yeah, we, rope. We, we, don't, <laughs> we don't need a Bubba moment. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I think that the the uh, protest up in Oregon, they all had their guns on site. So it's not something, you know, totally outrageous. There's plenty of uh, gun-carrying protests that have been done over the last two to five years. So this is nothing anybody should be frightened of. But because we're working upstream against all of these perceptions and lies about sovereign people, we're going to have to be more clever and more uh, proactive in, you know, protecting ourselves. Now, you know, nobody who is sane wants trigger-happy people. So we need people that are highly responsible and highly trained if they're going to do that. No, I, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. And what I think that people don't realize, when you're reading through the Constitution and you see a well-regulated militia being mentioned, that if, if people want to know who the militia is, um, you see them every it's morning every, when you're brushing your teeth. It's every morning. Hair. It's every man 18 to 45 years of age that can carry a gun. That is who is required to answer the militia call. And what originally it was for is when the sheriff needed a posse to do whatever he needed to do, he would call on the militia. That was their true purpose. They were never supposed to act outside of the sheriff. Yes, absolutely. And even if you go back to the Civil War, you didn't see, you know, the fight with the northern fight of northern aggression. You didn't see the northern states go and call up their national guard, and the, the southern states call up their national guard. No, every able-bodied man, you know, left their wife, left the farm, and went out and fought for what they were told that they were fighting for, but which didn't end up being the case. But it and that's what it boiled down to. It was every able bodied man. Period. Exactly. Exactly. Now in regards to, you know, reach out, I mean, for those people that are heavily tied into their communities and aren't going to sell their property and move on to this community that's fine, but they can do vacations. They can do festival weekends. They can, you know, come out and visit with us. And if in the future they decide, hey, we really love it here, maybe we are going to put our things up for rent or, or sell, that's their personal choice they can make. So the you know people don't have to show up the first day that we're open it's something that you know there's always going to be a certain rotation there's probably going to be 5% rotation in a healthy community like this 
because different people will get different opportunities or someone will get married and move away, whatever it is, you know. Um, but or, pe- because, or people may take what they've learned and go and start this somewhere else, too. Exactly. Um, like I said, once this is up and running, a lot of other counties, a lot of other countries in their provinces will start putting these in place because it answers a lot of things that are going wrong in society. We have a tremendous amount of youth that cannot afford to move out from their parents' home, even up to their 30s usually, because there are no jobs. And these are people that have graduated as valedictorians or, you know, 4.0 grade averages. These are not stupid people. These are people with skills and abilities that are not being given an opportunity because that wealth is being misused for imperialism by the oligarchy and, and, you know, banking cartels. So that puts a lot of pressure on families to support adult children and even their children within, you know, a lot of these young adults, they'll still get married and start having a family under their parents' roof, you know. So if they were given these golden opportunities to be self-sufficient, have their own place, safe, good place, knowledgeable, increase their their opportunities and abilities, this is a golden opportunity for so many people. And it's adding to the wealth of the nation to do these things. So... You know, bottom line, it it just adds across the board so many ways and so many places. Um, Once it's established, I don't say right away, but once it's established, we can even probably handle a lot of the homelessness, you know, depending on what their issues are, what their capabilities are, et cetera. We're not talking about you know, deep-seated problems. We're talking about people that were just thrown into the street even though they have, you know, abilities and capabilities. But, you know, it's just wrong how people are left to the street. There was a woman in Oregon I just saw yesterday that froze to death overnight because she was thrown out of her apartment for not paying $338 towards her rent. And it's these kind of horrors that we need to address because we, we are emissaries of God. We, we are the physical incarnate conduit of God. These kind of actions are unacceptable to human beings. To leave them, hey, you to- know what? Yeah. You you're absolutely right, and unfortunately, the construct that everybody has been left with left with is that what's going on is a top down mentality and situation, and it is the corporate government, uh, the counties, the city, the landlord on down pushing down on you, but they don't realize that. 
the power and the strength of the nation is really, it's bottom up. It comes exactly. from the people. The strength exactly. of the people creates the strength of the actual uh, de jure government. Well, it not only creates the strength, but it creates the abundance, the wealth, the value, because n- no factory can do anything, even automated. It cannot do anything without the human touch. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Well, so, we're at, we're at. I was going to say we're at two hours. So, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, we can okay, call it a night. Appreciate so much this hour, Ryan. Hey, I love having you on. Love the information. Great, great info, and um, this needs to be shared uh, for those that are listening on the Uber Conference Board. Over that number, uh, this is going to be uh, shared over the TalkShoe link. People can go there and, and reshare it again. And uh, maybe this is something you could even use, Sarah, and you know, offer to people to listen to an explanation re- regarding what is being done and what's going oh, to absolutely. occur. Absolutely. You know? So if you don't mind putting me on in a few more months, We'll have some more updates and and do some more outreach for everybody. And then uh, the fall, we're actually going to start doing committee groups to to forward and viral the fundraising. And so depending on our success with God's help, uh, maybe by the following year, following spring, we can actually buy a property which, you know, is doable. Well, I, f- I foresee a, a property being donated to you. I don't think you're going to have to buy one. I think one's going to be donated. I agree. Wow. To tell you the that truth. would be that's, awesome. That's what I think. <laughs> two then we more agree. That's what, concurred in the name of Yeshua. <laughs> I mean. Absolutely. That's what I think is going to happen. And, and feel free to uh, share the info to Tactical Sovereignty and to the Spiritual Earth Group, uh, Origins of Eternity, by Tactical Sovereignty, because the more you learn, the more you really find out it comes down to the spiritual aspect, because uh, this battle that is going on is, it's not a physical battle, it's a spiritual battle between light and dark, bottom line. 100%. And And until people realize it and attack it from that standpoint, and confront it from that standpoint, you're going to get nowhere because you're not meant to win. Unless you know what's really going on. Absolutely. I think that most people, if they're secular, they are totally blindsided to what's really happening because it is spiritual battle. And if they don't even realize their spirituality, they are totally blindsided by it. And this is why so many times their awakening happens at crisis points because it's only at that point that they even begin to realize there is another dimension to reality. That is so absolutely true. I I wish I had a nickel for every time that I got a text or an email at 7.30 in the morning that said, Hey, Brian, what should I do? I've got court at 8.30. 
<laughs> you know, and most of, most of what I show and try and not teach, but most of the stuff I, I try and post and show everybody, it's all preventative measures. You've got to get the preventative measures in place ahead of time. They really, exactly. really do. Exactly. And challenge, and challenge new, uh, you know, jurisdiction, you know, uh, you have to challenge jurisdiction. They they try not to give you opportunity. You have to take it. You have to state it. I challenge jurisdiction by what authority, and you have to know what jurisdiction means so that you can uh, deny what they're trying to spoon feed or throw at you in within two seconds. And this is something that it takes a lot of prayer and fortitude before you walk into court to be able to stand up to it because they shoot at you words like fire, you know, like thunderbolt. So you really have to pray before you even get in there that you will have the fortitude and the, the clarity to say what you have to say. And that's when it kicks in. <clears throat> so, well, you know, because... And- People need to realize that when you're going in to challenge jurisdiction, that's what special appearance is. Going in under special appearance is to challenge jurisdiction. And one of the big things, I woke up this morning, I have these, I don't know if you call them epiphanies or whatever, but that time before being asleep and awake, whether it happens Mm -hmm. at night or whether it happens in the morning when you first start waking up, I woke Mm -hmm. up this morning thinking about the jurisdictional issue and challenging it and i thought wait a minute if they're going to claim a jurisdiction over something then they have to show what that something is exactly if they're standing in place of like the u.s government or the corporation or whatever okay show us your jurisdiction there and show us your limits show us where you're at you know and that was one of the things that the constitution never did there was never any meets and bounds put to the United States of America. If you buy a property, well, it says well, it's X amount I'm of feet this way, disagree. it's X amount of feet that way. I'm going to disagree. The, the du jour did not put meets and bounds. The corporation did. And so, the the see, there's an article. I'll put it in the discussion group because it's worthwhile to know. But the Act of 1871 and the two constitutions, there's only one that is a true constitution, and that's the de jure, de jure constitution. And that one was ratified by Congress. The second one was an act of Congress, not ratified by Congress. So it's only a private corporate policy for its employees only, government employees only. So if you're not a government employee, none of that corporate constitution of 1871 applies to living man or woman, whether they realize it or not. So um, I, I will post that article because it really delineates and then there's a whole, I don't know, it's like, I don't know if it's like 80 pages from Fam Guardian, 
and I forget if it's .com or .net, but I will try to find that link of a PDF that it goes through explaining the exact boundary of the corporate constitution and different Supreme Court cases, etc., that apply to it. So it's very, very interesting. Um, the du jour well, constitution, wanna... the only meets and bounds were given to the states because each state is considered its own country. No, you're absolutely correct. And actually what you're arguing there actually backs up what I'm saying. Because yes. if you are going to hold them to that, if you're going to hold the corporate to that, then the corporate is going to have to admit that they are operating in fraud. Exactly. Exactly. Now, whether you know anything or not, because it takes years of learning all these Supreme Court cases and other cases and read through the documents, et cetera. And you really have to immerse yourself if you're going to really open a court of record and go after them like I'm doing. I've already, just for this court case, over dog zoning issues, I've already put 400 hours of law research into it because I'm defending my status. <clears throat> but uh, the point being, even if you know nothing up front and you have a court case in an hour, challenge jurisdiction, and then afterwards, no matter what happens, because they're going to railroad you no matter what, when it's done, get the court transcript proving that you challenge jurisdiction because then everything else is moot because they're not respecting your right to challenge jurisdiction. It is a void judgment, no matter what. And you know what? You talked about getting the court record and stuff like that. People, there's something very big that people overlooked with the O.J. Simpson case, and that was that Johnny Cochran, every morning prior to going in, for the new day of the case, he would go in and get a recording from the previous day. And that really wasn't talked about much. People, I think, kind of blew that off. But he did that for a reason, because they'll go and change things. They'll go and alter stuff. So he went in every morning and got the previous day's info. That way he had it. He had the record of exactly what happened. And it's not usually always... Act. I'm going to warn you. Uh, Bill Thornton, he's an expert on court of record, and he's been successful for over 37 years. So that's when I saw all these troubles and tribulations and everything with everybody else. And, you know, there's several other options to do, like through UCC1 and uh, admiralty law, etc. You can do that, but I chose to follow Bill Thornton because a court of record is every American's birthright, and it follows and upholds the Declaration of Independence and the original Constitution. So, 
I have devoted over a thousand hours over the last two years to a court of record. And I cannot say that I'm done yet because there's over 200 and some years of American history of many courts of record that are hidden. They're usually ex parte uh, Supreme Court decisions that you'd have to go back through their lower court cases to really know the details, etc. But this is something that I, I look forward to doing is to archive many of these cases so that we have the, the documentation ammunition to protect other people uh, in going forward. So it's important information. But in any case, you know, the bottom line is that Bill Thornton warns even if, you know, you get a court transcript, a lot of it is changed because they'll add in stuff that they never said in order to make you look bad, but they usually have enough that you can still hang them on. So um, it's definitely worth getting that you challenge jurisdiction because then ultimately as you work a court of record up to the higher courts through federal court and then into Supreme Court, it will uphold the fact that they didn't follow procedure to immediately uh, verify jurisdiction. <clears throat> they will lose 2,000%. Well, well, what you want to get when you go in uh, to get the previous day's info, you want to get the recording because mm -hmm. what they do, and because I've met, I've, I've met people that do it, but that was a trial. That was a trial. He was the defense attorney. When you go in, usually it's for a hearing, and they'll usually tell you you have to pay for a transcript, and only a higher court can remand the audio. So yeah, it's I'm only like ten bucks to buy it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just letting you but know each it, state is different. Each court county is different, but. You know, even if you just get the transcript, get it certified, whatever it is, get certified, audio or transcript, and then you will have the ability to uh, null and void the whole case. Absolutely. Well, uh, I was talking earlier, we we're, were going on two hours, so we're at two and a half. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a beautiful thing. And I think that, uh, Sarah, you and I could probably go on for another two and a half hours. You know, oh, you're talking it. about the amount of hours. <laughs> I could talk oh, for I know. 12 I know that. long. <laughs> it's just amazing. <laughs> it is amazing no, so the, the research that has been done by other people ahead and then coming back and reading through it you know, to immerse yourself so that you're really on top of it. Um, all I can say is such deep gratitude for their time and sacrifice and sharing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's so many people out there that have just put in so much time. And, you know, like I was going to say, you were talking about the amount of hours that you spent on different things. And that is actually what connected you and I. It, we weren't discussing health or anything. We were discussing law. 
And that's how we ended up uh, talking on the phone the first time. And (laughs) what cracks me up is they say that 10,000 hours of research makes someone an expert on something. And I know (laughs) that you, you and I, not even combined, but you and I individually have way more than that way more than 10,000 hours, and we still feel like we're almost scratching the surface sometimes. You know what I mean? They've convoluted things so harshly against the people. I think that a lot of that is because we're not just for ourselves. We're for others. So even though, let's say for ourselves, we know enough for ourselves, because we are touched in so many ways by other people's lives and needs, it, it behooves us to to not just pursue our own good and knowledge, but enough to help other people as well. And one of the, the major things that my family is known for and I pursue diligently is if we're putting information out there that it's ironclad, meaning it will not get people in trouble. So by my telling people to challenge jurisdiction and then get the documentation that you've challenged the jurisdiction, you have already won the case. You just have to do the legwork. And that is ironclad. That is 100%. And it saves so much aggravation and fear and tension and stress of people that are just beginning this process of learning the research, learning the steps, learning how to protect them, their status. And it doesn't take rocket science. It takes prayer to just be able to open your mouth and say the statement, I challenge your jurisdiction in this matter. That's it. Well, and, you know, one of the things that I found a long time ago, that really court doesn't doesn't exist between you and the prosecutor and the judicial administrator on the bench talking with each other. Court really exists on paper. That's really where it's located at. And... <clears throat> So uh, with my most recent situation I had, because I don't have, see, I didn't go into researching this stuff and looking at things because I was facing going to prison for 20 years in another six months or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I went into mm-hmm. it just out of interest because I knew that there was something going on that was being covered up and I wanted to figure it out. And that's why I started researching it. So fortunately, I didn't have, a particular avenue that I was only going to look at that, nothing else. I was looking at everything in general and trying to connect the dots on it all. And that's why I figured out that court really exists on paper. And one of the last things that I did, I went and let a credit card lapse just because I wanted to go to court. I didn't have anything pressing that I could go and experiment with, but I figured, well, I'll experiment with this. It's, (laughs) <laughs> 1216, whatever, whatever they claimed it was. All right. So I let that go and let it slide. <clears throat> and um, but I filed several things in a court. Uh, number one, that I was appearing in special appearance. And 
I was not an agent for anything, for anything. And when I went into court, you know, of course, the uh, judge, the judicial administrator is going to ask you questions, trying to pull you in to their jurisdiction. And the worst thing I think people can do in court, like Carl Lentz says, is talk. The worst thing about people is that they've got a tongue attached to their throat. You know, you put <laughs> it in writing and leave it there. And so whenever the judicial administrator would ask me anything, I would say, have you read what I've submitted to the case? And she would always repeat, yes. And I would say, that's what I stand on. And that's all I ever mm-hmm. said, all through it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at, now, the end of the, at the end of the question. case, she tried she tried to make it sound like she made a ruling against me, but she really didn't. And mm-hmm. then here, uh, a couple weeks ago, I received a letter of discharge in the mail from the company. Perfect. Now, so, question. Was that the original lender that that went to court, or was it a third-party credit uh, collector? It was a third party who tried to act like they were representing the original lender, but though they would not prove okay. in court. In fact, the first the first series through court, when I said, hey, I received a summons, and it said that the lender can be represented by or hire somebody else to do it for them, but they have to show proof of that when they come to court. Uh, that first time in court, I said, okay, this is what the summons said, so can you show me proof that you work for or have been hired by? And that attorney put all their stuff in their briefcase and walked out of the courtroom and threw their hands up. Yep. And I now, <laughs> and, now and then the second, I will, the second I will time, post to the your second page. Time in, I will post to your page. Uh, there's a paperwork that you can send when they first start sending uh, collection notices before they even hit court dates or whatever. But um it, it basically boils down to they will discharge the debt rather than be embarrassed in court so they will discharge it right away without a court appearance so i will send you that it's probably a 7 minute clip oh, that's... and the girl is hysterical oh, there's one of these new yorkers uh... she's so funny <laughs> Anyway, post, post um, that to the group. Post it. Post it to Tactical yeah. Sovereignty. Exactly. I'll post that. Because yeah. when it's third-party creditors, they're actually buying pennies on the dollar the the loan, and you know you just confront them with that, and they discharge rather than go to court because you never had a. a you know, a contract with them. So, so well, it, 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 it automatically... You know, I, you know, I hear something funny. Actually, you know, since this other case seemed like it wasn't going anywhere, I, I had another similar case. And this time, I didn't send them anything in the mail ahead of time, registered mail or anything like that. I just let everything just go, Right. Just because I wanted to go totally like I was a nobody walking into court, right? Mm-hmm. And I went in and they presented their case. And I said, well, I- I've written up an offer to accept your um, 
to accept your offer to contract, basically. And I wrote it up. Here it is. And I handed it over to um, whoever it was. I, it's probably just another attorney fictitiously representing somebody. And she opened it up and started reading it. At that time, I was starting to walk out of the courtroom. And she started reading it, and she noticed what it was. And it was my demand for proof. Right. And in court, she she turned and threw it at me, through the air. Thirty oh, okay. papers went flying through the air at me through the courtroom. Because <laughs> she knew. She goes, well, that doesn't work. I said, you've been served. <laughs> there you go. Now, I'm going to correct you about what a court is. Uh, a corporate court is paper, but a court of record is a sovereign's court, just like the king sits in a court. Okay, this is where I the agree. court came from. And the court of the sovereign goes wherever the sovereign goes. So once you've declared a court of record open, it exists wherever you are. And so you are the head of your court. And so... Um, sure. This is protected by the Constitution, the de jure Constitution. You're absolutely correct. You're so, absolutely correct. So once you've opened a court of record, it, it remains open until the final judgment. So, so what, pe- what people need to do is submit their judgment. Well, it still has to go through certain steps like mine. They tried to dismiss it. I mean, according to their books, they've dismissed it. Now I've got to remand it to the higher federal court to reopen it, to force the lower court to do certain actions that I've done mandamuses on and uh, contempt of court for uh, refusing to look at the jurisdiction and, and, state their authority, et cetera. So, you know, all the way around, they've they've lost, but it's still going through the process because you still need their awareness. And the beauty of a court of record is to use the higher courts to force the lower courts to do their job. And so, you know, the the ultimate will be That's the court but they usually make a decision and then throw it back to the federal court if you've opened it in federal court so you know it's, well, that's, that's, that's the thing you don't want just a dismissal no 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 so you know it's moving forward in the process and bill thornton says if you have no patience don't start because each of these cases, because we're dealing with mountains of ignorance and mountains of agenda, uh, you have to have a lot of patience, more than what is required in a normal circumstance, because you're dealing with a whole field of people that have never been taught real law. They've only been taught legality and revenue collection. And so... It's coming out of, yeah, it's coming out of left field for them. So in in our duty to community and 
educating the ignorant, we really have to take a very long-winded, patient approach, you know, firm, but but steady and keep moving with it until the process is done. So I foresee that I'm going to be filing in federal court in the next week or so, and then they'll be served to to let them know that the case was not dismissed as per what they supposed and that they are going to have to face, you know, these points of action and the mandamuses and the contempts of court and, you know, they can challenge them. And if so, it'll go to the Supreme Court for a decision. And then it will be given back to the federal court to uh, process that decision and, and give notification to all the parties. And at that point, I will be able to do my final judgment with the, you know, uh, trespass and trespass against the case. Uh, et cetera, and whatever the judgment fees will be, et cetera. But, you know, the, the bottom line is it takes much longer than it should because you're dealing with criminal mentality and agenda along with deep-seated ignorance. I mean, a lot of these people, <laughs> the last time I did a hearing with these people, I had four attorneys. One of them was for the attorney general for the state because it's against two of their judges and uh, one attorney was for the court reporter one was for the uh, animal control one of them was for I forget something else Um, but oh the mayor and the county commissioners and then the magistrate judge that was listening and as I was reading through my points of action uh, in regards to refusing to dismiss the case, uh, all of their jaws were dropped. I mean, they, they were in total shock. They had no concept of what kind of revenue scheme collection agency they were actually operating. And you could just see this look of horror and open jaws across the board. And finally, the magistrate, she was like, do do any of the attorneys have anything to say? And they just like, no, no, we have nothing to say. I mean, they they were in shock. You could see it in their eyes. They didn't know what to say. Well, they had never seen it in that perspective. And you could see that, that, they were hitting the wall face forward full speed and saying what just happened you know and so of course the magistrate decided to dismiss it without leave of the court so so now she gets a contempt of court too (laughs) but that's besides the point but um you know I think that they just are in shock because this is something that they were never aware of. They were never educated from. And each of these attorneys and magistrate judge that were sitting there, they've been in this industry for close to 30 years. There were no newbies there. Okay, let me ask you a question, Sarah. 
mm-hmm. as, as much as I've wanted in this call, going on an hour now. Um, <laughs> let me ask you a question. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you submit your authenticated certificate of live birth to the record and let them know that they did not have yeah. permission from you as holder of due course to yeah. uh, do anything yeah. with the bond? Yes. Well, what did you hear? did you hear anything back regarding that? Oh, totally, totally. You know, ignorance, totally wipeout, total. You know, like as if I never said anything. They try to act like they have no clue what you're talking about. Exactly. So, wow. so the point is, they will find out the hard way through federal court and the Supreme Court if it needs to remand for decision through the Supreme Court. They're in for a very, very big shock. And they know that I'm still after them in other pursuits because the whole point about traffic tickets, zoning tickets, animal control, et cetera, is revenue schemes for their budget. Now, if you've seen Keffer1.com with Walter, I forget his last name, Ben Buren, I think. Buren. Um, ben. Walter Ben Buren. Yeah. So yep. he brings up is that these city and county and state budgets are an absolute fraud because the Keffer accounts have billions of dollars of money, and yet they shortchange the budget so they can turn around and tell all these agents to keep revenueing all the constituents. It's not that they need money well, for the short- budget. They've short-budgeted themselves on purpose so that they can keep raping the constituents' assets. Well, they're showing two sets of books. They're showing yeah. the books of what the taxpayers pay in, and then they're showing the books of their expenses and saying, oh, my God, we need to raise taxes. But they're not showing the books for the CAFR accounts uh, because they're not showing that all these NGOs and things like that that they're in control of are bringing in millions for them. And this, you know, for those listening to this call, this isn't just something that's happening on the federal level. This is happening in your city. It's happening in your county. And they're raping you because of it. The amount of money that they are bringing in, they are actually, they should actually be sending you a dividend check every month instead of charging you taxes at the end of the year. You should be receiving dividend checks because your money as an investment is being used. Absolutely. Now, for instance, two years ago, almost three years ago, Detroit, as a city corporation, filed for bankruptcy. And then in 2015, the city bought a $700,000 MRAP military truck for its police force. And at that point, people started demanding an audit. If we filed for bankruptcy, how do you have almost a million dollars to spend on one militarized truck? So that's when they found the Keffer accounts that Detroit had $12 billion in Keffer accounts. They certainly weren't bankrupt. So what these county and city and state and federal officials do, they collect uh, directly, you know, whatever property tax, sales tax, 
whatever revenue that comes in and it gets forwarded up the chain, let's say city to county to state to federal to uh, the treasury secretary. And if you look, the treasury secretary, even according to code, he is actually an IMF governor. He is not an American employee in any shape or form. He is a governor for the IMF, which is a you know foreign power. It's the Vatican. It's the uh, Temple Crown. It's the Bilderberg uh, banker banking cartel that direct and you know, set policy through the IMF. So what happens is the IMF will make a decision of how much goes back towards each of these Kefir account budgets. And so they always shortchange the budget. So it really is up to the local communities to demand audits, to demand proper budgeting so that they're not hounded by revenue agents, because 90% of these tickets and zoning fines, et cetera, have nothing to do with safety, have nothing to do with, you know, protecting anybody. There was no harm, no crime committed, but it's a revenue scheme for them. And I, I can attest well, that listening to other people's cases in, you know, four different court visits in the hearings, there were over a third of these people, there were probably 70 people in each of these two-hour court sessions, um, at least a third of them had to give up their animals. This is just animal control. Had to give up their animals to the shelter because they could not pay the fine and keep their animal. So that's destroying... Destroying thousands of innocent animals, harming the constituents because a lot of those young people were new veterans that had come back from war trying to re-enter society and their pet is their only comfort. So that's very cruel to do to anybody, let alone someone that has gone through trauma. Well, you know what? You look at what's really occurred and, and take it step by step. They have separated mankind from their creator and placed themselves in that position as being the grantor of the trust. All right. And then if people got in to see what the Rockefeller Foundation was really about, they back <laughs> separating the families and separating the moms and dads from the children. Okay. Yep. And then and they further separated the, different the, ethnic they, 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 Right. And they still <laughs> separated the children from whatever parent was left by putting the school in charge, you know. And then now they're even going a step forward and separating those people from their pet. Uh, I've got yep. one laying in my lap right now. You know what I mean? Exactly. Uh, uh, it's just, it's inhuman. It's outrageous. Yeah, that's just uncalled for. Absolutely. And the dog. So, well, you know what? You know, even for myself, I might say, "Oh, I've had enough." But when I saw 
how many people were crying that they had to give up their animals. And these are not wealthy people, you know. They're barely scratching a living, and they have to give up the one friend that they can really count on. That That's just beyond inhuman. So, no, I won't shut up. <clears throat> Well, Sarah, you're going to have to knock on my door when you're ready to do another call because Absolutely. I know you've got way more to offer. We both do. and um, But you know where to find me. Absolutely. Um, and, you I know, just, just it's so exciting to see the processes work. That That is what really counts is that there's a method, there's a mm-hmm. procedure that even though it takes time and patience and effort, it works. That's the bottom line. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if I have to give one tip for people that listen to this call uh, this evening or whenever they may listen to it, let me give you this one little tip And because we're talking about code enforcement. If you have anything to do with code enforcement, request the administrative warrant. That's my tip of the day. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go and research code enforcement and administrative warrant because they cannot come on your property without an administrative warrant unless there is a fire or a chemical spill or something like that. Bottom line. But, Sarah, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, We're going to wrap this up, I guess. And Sarah uh, Marcus will be back, guaranteed. And once again, like I tell everybody, you need to find out and learn where you're from, where you're at, and who you are, because those facts have all been hidden from you. That's been the identity theft. So with that, you want to say goodnight, Sarah? Yes, good night, everybody. God bless, God speed, and just, you know, keep researching, keep praying, keep requesting clarity, because when you ask God, it's provided. That, that I can attest to personally. Brian, if I Absolutely. may. If you, if you ask, it will be received. Yes, sir, how are you doing this evening? Good. This is Dave in the thumb again. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you, Brian, for bringing us Sarah Marcus. That was awesome. Uh, are you folks familiar with America again? I think I've heard it of the group. Familiar. They started a conference call um, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. Eastern. Uh, it's called Wake Up America. And if I could, I'd like to give out that number. Okay. It's Absolutely. You can give out that number. Great. I was going to say, you give out that number, and you can post a link for it to the group if you want. Uh, well, I'm legally blind, so I maybe uh, I sent I sent a text to Rance. Maybe he can do that. But the number is 712-451-0640. That's 712-451-0640. And the PIN is 937-642-POUND. It's 
pound 9 a.m. Eastern Monday through Friday. I yield. Thanks again, guys. Beautiful. More people they can get together and learn info, the better. Absolutely. Exactly. And the beauty of these calls are they are archived so people can listen. Even if they missed it, it's available. Yes, people can go on to talk to you. Absolutely. I've been listening to archives from 10 years ago on talk show from people. And oh, me too. there's great stuff. Oh, absolutely. And a lot of people want, a lot of people want to talk crap. Uh, for instance, like saying Bill Thornton, oh, he's a 33 degree Mason, da 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 and stuff. You know what? I don't give a who anybody is or where they're from because there is always going to be kernels of truth. Absolutely. And, and it could be people, it how could many be people hours. coming forward and giving you the whole truth. Mm-hmm. He's given for free thousands of hours of information. You've got to be a fool to ignore it. Absolutely. My grandfather I, I was, was a mason, and he could build one hell of a brick wall. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, my dad, my dad, my father, earthly father, joined the Masons a few years ago. Well, quite a few years ago. He's passed away now, but he had to walk away from it. He said, "No, this isn't what's meant to be." But you know, anybody you listen to, they, whoever they are, you're going to hear truth from them. And with Bill Thornton and all the hours that he's given forward, you know. He's going for it for free. The call I was listening exactly. to the other day, he said, sorry. He said, sorry, I'm not taking money for anything anymore. I'm just putting this out here. Exactly. Now, I just want to say in regards to Masons, there is two major factions. One upholds the name of God. The other does not. The ones that founded this nation were the ones that upheld the name of God. And soon after, by the time the Civil War and Albert Pike came to power within the Masons, it was the other faction that has taken over. Now, in any event, each lodge is still a mixture of those Masons. And I can attest to the fact that there are plenty of engineers that are true to the creator, but are Masons. And I can attest to the fact that quite a few had to run for their lives when disclosing certain Gnostic teachings for disclosure for the public within their lectures. Dan Winter is one of them. He had to run for his life from a... revealing the fact that the heart has certain frequencies that if you keep it within a certain frequency range, your aura will repel darkness. And so, you know, the, this is a very strict teaching that, that 
many of the power controllers did not want out. He had to run for his life. And he definitely is a mason because of his engineer work. Just about every engineer, just about every architect, just about anyone within any kind of engineer job, physics engineering, electrical engineering, any kind of engineering is in the mason because otherwise they wouldn't have a job. But that does not mean that each of the individuals are necessarily totally corrupt. It just means question mark and be careful. That's all it means. So, you know, with that, you know, I just, I want to state that there have been quite a few Masons in recent time, the last 10 years that I am aware of, that different Mason engineers had to run for their lives in order to disclose important information. No, that's absolutely correct. I've been seeing that as well. And, you know, there's a lot of people within this movement alone who either had to run for their lives or they've lost their lives because they were bringing forward this kind of info. Exactly. And that just kind of tells you, you know, like I've always said, you know, you know that you're over the target when you're catching flack. If they're making you run or if they're trying to kill you off, you know that what you're saying is the truth. Not I, only I that. I think some of, the best pe- people, some of the best people to learn from are people who have been killed off. Those are the people yeah. you want to listen to. And I can state also those that that are willing to sacrifice under great stress and pain and aggravation and, and loss are the ones that have the true fruits. Absolutely. That's the true fruit. And what people need to acknowledge is that our crown doesn't exist for us here. Our crown exists somewhere else. Exactly. Well, okay. With that, you ready to go, Sarah? I'm ready to go. Okay, and we'll come back another time. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for coming on the group call for Tactical Sovereignty on this Sunday evening, the first day of the week, not the seventh day of the week. Keep that in mind. (laughs) And we will see you next week. Thanks, guys. Awesome call. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was awesome. Thank you. Good night, everybody. Thank you. Right. Good night. Ephesians six ten through twenty. Put on the armor of God, you guys. Thank you so much. Absolutely. This is the year fifty seven seventy seven. Look it up. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.